Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the, well, that usually at the PW offices, but this week we're spread out around this great city. Uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com and uh, formerly the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, although I'm still doing that as we record this podcast. <laughs> so you can check us out on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more, to more to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. All right, this week on More to Come, Bendis to DC in a shocker, uh, PW Best Books of 2017, and Comics and the Media. So let's get right to it. Um, what a shocker. Uh, yeah. He, I mean, you might want to call him Mr. Marvel, but um, <laughs> Bendis is moving to D.C. I, I, I don't quite know what to make of it, but this is very interesting. Well, it is very interesting. And, you know, the news broke, what was it, Tuesday morning? Yeah. yeah. Like and um, I think so. I mean, and this was one of those get out of bed right away things. Mm. You know, I was, I, I like to, uh, you know, not to get too personal, but I, I like to read Twitter. You know, before I start the day, I lie in bed, checking my Twitter. Like, as soon as I read DC <laughs> tweeting, we are pleased to announce that we have signed Brian Michael Bendis to a contract. You know, please welcome aboard. I was like, hopped out of bed, ran to the keyboard. <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> Um, yeah, this was get out of bed level news. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. Uh, you know, Bendis came on board with Marvel back in 2000 as part of, uh, new Marvel, uh, mm -hmm. the Bill Jemis, Joe Quesada era of Marvel. Axel Alonso went over as editor in chief. This is, you know, Marvel had been in the crapper coming out of bankruptcy and this was the new initiative and Bendis was one of their key hires. You know, they also hired J. Michael Straczynski, Mark mm -hmm. Miller couple of other people but it was bendis who became the man yeah well for sure um, and uh i think i'm not alone among superhero comic readers and having a very love-hate relationship with bendis because when he knows how to write a character no one can write them like bendis but he does have certain patterns of who he can't write and then what he does to them uh there are certain types of female characters that he, like, tends to have go insane, like, literally. <laughs> and I'm like, so part fails. of me was like, I wonder what this will be like. And I'm like, no, who will he make into a, cra a murderous, crazy person? Don't do it, dude. Um, but, you know, yeah. well, I we'll mean, see. We'll see. It'll be a very different take, I'm sure. It will. And I mean, his best known character at Marvel was undoubtedly Alias, you know, Je a.k.a. Jessica Jones, who was turned into the Netflix series. And, um, you know, the first the first arc of that that came out during the, the whole um, Gemma's Casada era uh, with art by Michael Gatos is really one of the classics of that era. I mean, it is a very, very affecting comic and it was very heavily the Netflix uh, first season was very heavily based on it. And but I mean he also created Miles Morales, or, you yes, know, co-created, yeah. co-created co Riri Williams. I mean he wrote Ultimate Spider-Man for uh, more the issues than Stan and Jack did on the Fantastic Four. You know, with Mark with artist Mark Bagley. Uh, I mean Bendis was I, I believe he wrote Ultimate Avengers. I mean this guy he did, was and not only okay. Well, for one thing, first off, there's Ultimates, and that's a different thing. Yes. And secondly, 
Um, he also did the run on Avengers that led up to eventually Civil War. It was really the, I would say, the run on Avengers that brought Avengers into public consciousness yeah. and I think led to why they were in the movies. Because, I mean, Avengers had kind of been in X-Men's shadow uh, for like 20 years at least. And then Bendis wrote them and they were huge. Right. And I, but I, I but I mean, you cannot overestimate, um, you know, the ultimate line, which was uh, a, the, the signature mark of the Bill Jemis era at Marvel was like this new start over line of characters who had the same names as the legacy characters, but were very different. You know, haha, I wonder how no one complained about it then. Well, well they actually did. They complained a lot. <laughs> um, many people are but still very bitter about ultimates because mm. but in sort of a. I don't like Ultimates, but because they're an alternate universe, I can just not read it. Yeah. Well, it, that's true, but I will say at the time, they were immediate sales hits, okay? They, they rocketed. They were, but they I don't actually think that Ultimates was Bendis. Not originally. No, I, I, Kate, when I'm saying Ultimates, I'm not talking about the book, The Ultimates. I'm talking about the Ultimate line. Oh, okay, that's I different. Think, yes, which, and Ooh. I was saying that he wrote Ultimate Spider-Man and... Um, That's a very which was a key, yeah. key, key book in the whole in the whole uh, Ultimate Universe, yeah. and um, so you know, I mean, he became an architect, and I mean, you know, moving to DC, I will tell you that before he became the man at Marvel, Bendis was a middling art cartoonist who self-published oh, or really? you know had small publishers I put out his that. own books like Jinx and Goldfish. I well, know, you know, oh, okay. so well, that's long it. Ago well, you know, I do know Jinx. I mean, that's what that's actually what introduced me to. Business. I read Jinx, and uh, and and I recall liking it. It's been many years now. Yeah, yeah, no, they were actually mm -hmm. very good, but I mean, they paled in comparison to the success of his yeah. Marvel work. Well, oh, I, and I of think course, actually, oh, what oh, brought oh, him powers, 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 yes, powers is right. what brought him to the fore. Yeah, yeah, that was that's what really brought him. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I dipped into you know uh, uh, some of the, the other uh, superhero characters, but uh, um, what what made me pay attention to him was Jenks and then later on Powers and of course I, I, I dipped into things here and there throughout his, his career at Marvel but but just to speculate what, what kind of what, I mean what do you think he will work on in DC well uh, you know this is an interesting question because uh, I, I mean it's been 17 years of Bendis at Marvel and yeah. over time I mean he kind of went from being this fresh voice to becoming the most um, over over uh, exposed voice possible at Marvel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. and in his own tweet announcing this, he pointed out that change is good and so on. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about what happened. You know, did mm. he leave? On you know, whose idea was it? Was it his ideas? DC's ideas? Marvel's ideas? Um, you know, I, I mean, to give him his due, Rich Johnson has done a bit of reporting on this, and uh, he says that um, that Jeff Johns is the one who recruited. Bendis over to DC, hmm. and that he'll be working on some of the, um, on some of the, uh, you know, DCU kind of theatrical stuff. Now at Marvel, this is a key hmm. part of the story, actually, based on what I've been able to piece together. Hmm. You know, there was the Marvel Creative Committee, which consisted of uh, Bendis, Joe Quesada, um, I believe Axel Alonso, mm -hmm. and uh, a person whose name I'm forgetting. But they were the kind of these Marvel people who consulted on the M the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff uh -huh. and on the cartoon stuff. And sure. when the Kevin Feige got cut loose of Ike Perlmutter and got put under um, 
the Disney studio proper, the Marvel Creative Committee was disbanded. Um, you know, I know that Bendis was really involved in a bit of the animation there. I know he consulted on like the Marvel Spider-Man cartoon and obviously with Netflix and Jessica Jones, he had some, some input there, but, um, you know, I mean, it's possible that if, if this part about him being more involved in DC stuff is true, then, then that, you know, that would be a powerful inducement. I think personally, based on some of the things I've heard, Uh another reason, you know, I haven't been able to write a post about this on the beat yet, but my headline is really, this is a win-win for everyone. Hmm. At Marvel, there were a lot of characters that Bendis just wouldn't allow other people to write. And there was a lot of frustration, because he was definitely the 800-pound gorilla at Marvel, and what he wanted to write, he got. Mm -hmm. Um, So now a generation of young writers are sitting around saying, hey, we yeah. can write Jessica Jones. <laughs> yeah, bingo. <laughs> you know? Mm. And, and now at DC, DC readers are excited, even if they hate Bendis, you know, now they can rage read, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as I said, I, I don't I don't think there are a lot of, like, pure Bendis haters out there. There's just, you know, some writers are very distinctive, and when they get it right, they hit it out of the park. And when they don't, Boy, the world knows it. And I think Bendis is one of those. He's, you know, like he's he's very much a talky heads kind of guy and he's got his tropes. And sometimes it works like gangbusters and sometimes it doesn't. And even if you're a hardcore DC person, you know enough about Marvel probably to know to know a little bit of what you're in for and go, oh, my God, what was this going to mean for DC? Right. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Yeah. And I'll oh, go on, Kato. Oh, and I was going to say that, I mean, and frankly, from a creative perspective, I can see why, even if he was happy at Marvel, why Bendis might might do this. Because, you know, after you have had 17 years of your creative career at Marvel, and you are a superhero-loving kind of guy, which, I mean, Reed Powers, he is, um, you know, this is the ultimate challenge. Like, do you, do you want to just be linked to one brand forever? Or do you want to spend the second half of your career in in the other playground and seeing what you can make of that? Like, of course he's going to try the other playground. Hmm. It's been 17 years. He's done. He's done his Marvel thing. We know what Bendis's Marvel is. Cool. And I think he knows what Bendis's Marvel is too. And so I, I you know, this is a new challenge. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and yeah. yeah, I mean, I compared this to Kirby leaving Marvel. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. it is, and it is a, I, you know, some people gave me flack for that. But um, anytime you talk to anyone at Marvel, which is infrequent, let me make that clear. But, <laughs> That's for um, sure. <laughs> but it's really clear, you know, Bendis was a major voice at their writers' retreats. And, um, you know, he was the top dog there. He really was. And, and he did a great job with it for a long time. And he put out some books that people really loved. Um, I personally, <laughs> you know, he often said before he went to Marvel that his dream was to write Vertigo. And Calvin, oh. you just did a podcast with Dan and yeah. Jim where they mentioned that there's going to be a lot of different stuff at Vertigo. Well, that's true. As a matter so, of fact. And, yeah. you know, there's also, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know whether this is necessarily something Bennis was working on, but they also mentioned, you know, this the Age of Heroes, which is really kind of an anthology series. I don't know whether that's something um, – that he would be involved in, I, I suspect not. I mean, I would have. I mean, as the superhero lightweight here on this show, I mean, I would have to. I mean, I would assume you know, he's going to be writing Batman at some point. So I don't know, but yeah, um, Vertigo certainly sounds like the place where he can have a huge impact 
they certainly need it now. I mean, I mean, I, we're still actually sort of waiting to see what happens with Young Animal, too, how that's going to play out, even though I think they've got some interesting things there. Yeah, definitely. But but I mean, in your interview, didn't Dan and Jim say that mm-hmm. that they were looking at Vertigo to be more kind of boutiquey things like that, or little boutiquey lines? Yeah, they, uh, yes, they they said that, and they they've kind of been saying it for a while. <laughs> they they yeah. also said very blatant, and they said it several uh, on, on the record that um, they're competing with Image, and um, they've got to figure out how to do a better job of it. Yeah, because they've said the Image is basically eating their lunch. <laughs> so sure, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Vertigo might be a really interesting place for him to to to, to, to do some things. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, as they say, there'll be more to come. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Speaking of really good books, let's jump very quickly over to PW's best books of the year. Uh, uh the the magazine's annual um, kind of uh. uh culling of what we consider the best books of the year uh we only get five graphic novel picks but actually you know what i always say is that we sort of get you know anywhere from five to about eight because the children's department picks you know two this year they picked three graphic novels right um uh shall i go down the list Heidi? you want to jump in sure yeah no you you can go down the list okay we'll start off real quick we'll start with the adult graphic novels and then then we'll jump and pick up there's also some graphic novels in ya and in middle grade but um, leading off for the adult graphic novels, Jillian Tamaki's Boundless, uh, a fabulous collection of short stories. Uh, I think you wrote in there that she explores the intersection of identity, technology, and memory in this remarkable collection. <laughs> I did so, write that. That was good. You did write it. Yes, I like it too. Uh, so, uh, look, it's, I mean, some of these stories, I mean, they're, they're pulled from a variety of stories, but Sex Coven is in there. I mean, it's just a great, great collection. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, Sex Fantasy by Sophia Foster Domino. Um, clean and simple lines, no shading or color. Stories of heartbreaking longing and frustrating disappointment. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, published by Kayama Press. And uh, also Boundless was published by D&Q. Next, well, my favorite, I think you all know what we're talking about here. Oh, boy, what is it? That's My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris. Uh, the hit graphic novel of the year, uh, the story of Karen Ray's, a 10-year-old heroine uh, who sees herself as a monster just like the tortured ghouls from the 1960s-era monster movies that and fanzines that she loves. So um, I've talked about this many times, so I'm not going to talk about it right now, but also one of our best books of the year. Yeah. Well, Next. I would like to say yeah, at this please. point that I <laughs> I uh, was part of and not part of the book choosing committee. Um, Calvin and Heidi uh, generously offered to listen to my suggestions and generously decided that none of the books I liked were good enough. <laughs> but their selections are so wonderful that I completely understand. All right. Well, we, we, we hope you forgive us. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. Hey, it's an honor just to be considered. Uh, um, uh, though certainly, I mean, one reason uh, – one of the next book I'm going to mention actually uh, – I actually read this, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because um, you brought it up months ago. And that's um, – uh, Kate brought it up months ago. And that's My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by yeah. Got a Copy. Uh, yeah, that is. I, I was extremely impressed with this book when I read it. 
I really did. Um, uh, I, uh, in our uh, little capsule uh, annotation, um, uh, we describe it as a relentlessly honest, often funny graphic memoir that methodically dissects, uh, uh, in which the author methodically dissects her dysfunctional uh, life, looking for a way out of her neurotic, self-imposed cage of social isolation. I, I, well, I and not only that, but it's also kind of a, a meta-memoir about tell-all memoirs, where, like, she she's writing about not only her own neurotic experiences, but then also she's at the same time trying to make it as a manga artist. Yes. And so they're like, oh, well... You know that sounds like a great memoir. You should you should turn this into a memoir. And she's like, "This? Yeah, I no, don't know." True. And they're like, no, "Yeah, maybe true. you can sex it up." And she's like, "Um, should I? That's weird." So it's it's like it works on two levels, both as a memoir and um, also as a story about memoirs. Yeah. Well, it's it's to me an amazing. Uh, example of intense self-examination and uh, I think I was talking with Heidi about this and I, it, to me what it reminded me of was Binky Brown and the Holy Virgin, Holy Virgin Good Mary. Good old Binky Brown. Uh, I, 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 I was just very impressed with this. The, the, her, her pain and her humor uh, as a you know, anyway. Moving uh, and to the, the last of the uh, adult graphic best graphic novels of the year uh, the Hunting Accident, A True Story of Crime and Poetry by David Carlson and Landis Blair. Uh, a, a really uh, amazing story about a guy who goes to prison, ends up in as the cellmate of the notorious, and this is all a true story, by the way, uh, the, 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 the cellmate of Nathan Leopold of the murderous Leopold and Loeb 1920s duo, um, uh, he's blinded in a, in a botch robbery attempt. Leopold um, actually passes on his love of literature and brings ri- the, uh, the blinded guy, his name is Matt Rizzo, brings him back from the really the depths of despair over this by transferring um, his love of, lure, uh, of literature. Leopold is this polymath. He speaks 22 languages. He t- teaches himself Braille so he can teach it to Rizzo. Rizzo becomes a poet. I mean, it's just an amazing story. It really is. It's it. It is definitely one of those dense stories. And um, you know, I do think it's it's kind of funny in that, um, you know, kind of I had two picks, and I'll be honest, they're a little bit similar in that you know, sex fantasy and boundless are both kind of like short story collections by female cartoonists that are. Uh, very, oh, I would say almost nebulous in their meaning. Like, you really have to study them sometimes to see what they're about. And Calvin's two picks are about crime in Chicago, seen to <laughs> yes, the eyes of children. Seemingly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would say my lesbian yeah. experience with loneliness is something that Kate also definitely was on board mm-hmm. with. So, uh, you know, it's, it's Kate's honorary pick there. Uh, but we also all love that that book as well. So Yes. Yeah. Calvin, what were in the, the kids? Um, the kids? Uh, over in the kids in the YA were um, uh, Tilly Walden's um, uh, spinning. Tried uh, to have for our list, but darn it, they had yeah, they, to have it for they YA. Got it, they got it first. And let's see, in the middle grade, there is, let's see, um, there is uh, All's Fair in Middle School by Victoria Jameson. And Real uh, Friends. 
yes, real uh, friends, yes, and real right? friends by Shannon, yeah, by, by Shannon, Shannon Hale, Hale and uh, uh, Leo and uh, Fam. And yeah. just I, I, as an aside, also um, Andrea Sarumi, uh, her work was cited in picture books. Yes. Yes, and as was uh, a different pond, which was illustrated by T. Bui, uh, oh, that's right. and also yes, yes, yes. Uh, Patrick McDonald had a book on there, and John J. Muth uh, yeah. in the picture books. So um, you know, quite yeah. a few comics people represented over there. Absolutely. But you know, I mean, listen, we also will have our critics poll yes. later on. We'll, we'll spotlight a lot more books, yes. and um, you know, it's another it's another really great year for comics. I mean, yeah. I I would have to say if I could have picked. Book of the year, I would have picked spinning, but um, you know, the kids got that one, so uh, you know what? I would have done the same thing. Uh, I, I was really impressed with that book, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, as was everyone, yeah. and, and so, with her, and with her too. I got a chance to interview her a couple of times, and and uh, really, um, yeah, so yeah, I agree with you. So, um, we're gonna move on here because, um, I'm gonna have to bow out of this in a in a shortly because I very foolishly bought theater tickets tonight to see Dean Haspiel's play Carrie Carrie Keen. So next time on the podcast, I'll have a review, maybe. Yeah, that's even better. Um, cool. But anyway, uh, you know, this has been a a week of insanely tumultuous news. I mean, you know, it's a Bendis news broke, but just in everywhere, it's like the world is tearing apart into chunks. But, um. You know, the the Mark Miller Netflix deal became a little bit yeah, mm-hmm. uh, clearer as he announced his first book, uh, which was uh, something called uh, The Magic Order with art by Olivier Coipel. And uh, it is a very Mark Miller-esque idea, which is like wizards who save the world. And then they sit around in the wor- real world having uh, dark, bitter adventures. <laughs> so, okay. uh, you know, very, very Netflix ready. I can totally see this on Netflix. Um, he calls it dark fantasy. Uh, you know, he finally came out and started talking about this. Still no clarity on how the books are coming out. It says hmm. they're going to be the Netflix imprint. But is there are they coming out from Image? What happens to the backlist? I, I, I love yeah. that he keeps saying, oh, I'm a comic book guy. And are these going to be serialized or the original graphic yes, novels? Yes, they're going to be periodicals. But, but yeah. as I said, no one... Like they're coming out as Netflix comic books, but is Netflix publishing them or are they yeah. going through Image? Yeah. And what has happened to the backlist hasn't hasn't been addressed yet at all. So, yeah. um, my and, guess is that the backlist will still be sold because there's money there. Well, absolutely, of course, somebody needs to keep it in, in print. But I mean, uh, well, I mean, I guess I mean, you know, now uh, that yeah. that Miller's making that sweet Netflix money, maybe he doesn't need to keep his books in print. Yeah, <laughs> but he's a writer; his yeah, ego will make him that. keep his books in print. <laughs> And the movies will only make the backlist that much more valuable, so I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't. Right. But, yeah. but it's funny. It's funny that no one has addressed this. So, but um, well, I think else- they haven't figured out what they're doing yet. That's my theory. Hmm. This has the whiff of ah, we'll fix it in post. Well, I I, I hear yeah, that sometimes that happens but, with acquisitions, but. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, well, speaking of Hollywood and comics, um, if you return with us to the days of 2010, I don't think we were doing the podcast back then. Yeah, yeah, no, we weren't. But even so, we existed in 2010. But had we been doing the podcast, we probably would have talked about Legendary Comics, which launched as the imprint of Legendary Pictures, which then was high, flying high, uh, with such films as Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Um, and Bob Shrek was the editor of that little boutique line. And uh, today it was announced on the beat, actually, that mm-hmm. he is no longer the editor-in-chief of that line. And uh, he is moving on and looking for work. And uh, I opined, I, I, I didn't actually find out what's going on there, but I, I noted that Legendary really just puts out books in dribs and drabs. I mean, you know, like once... 
like I, they put out a book that tied in with King Kong and with um. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Really, you know, the publishing side. I, I, you, you have to question the. There's. I mean, other than Bob Shrek, uh, who everybody respects, it, it, it doesn't seem to. It's hard to kind of figure out what they were doing <laughs> at Legendary Comics. I, I honestly I'm think it, I'm trying that to put this in a, in a nice way. Um, I mean, I think it's just that it wasn't a high priority for Legendary as a company. It, was, it had no priority at all. I mean, well, you yeah. know what's going on with them now. I mean, then they fell on some hard times and mm-hmm. they, sold, they got sold to Wanda, which is this giant Chinese conglomerate. But then the Chinese government said, Wanda, you can't borrow money and spend it on things that are made for other countries like movies. So then their financing dried up. So it's kind of been a mess at Legendary. Yeah, strange. Um, but uh, I guess uh, we'll have uh, at some point a story about where Bob Trick ends up. Yes, well, uh, one would assume. Yeah. And um, let's see. So, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, then there were some big meta stories this week, like, uh, like it emerged <laughs> that <laughs> Disney was in talks to buy Fox. Yeah. And that a lot of scuttlebutt was saying that this was entirely or partially because of Fox refusing to let go of X-Men. And also because uh, Fox had the rights to A New Hope. Oh, right, right, right. I yeah, mean, I think they actually didn't have the rights to that anymore, though. Did they? I thought they, well, had, they, they the- had They had made a deal with Disney, but like Disney had to keep giving them money. Right. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Just having DC give you money. Disney give you money? I I I'd sign up for that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um well, I mean certainly that was a, a part part of the proposed deal and you know, I uh, I I mean there there were only 6 movie studios and and if Disney were to buy Fox there would be only 5 and that's kind of scary. Uh that's a lot of consolidation yeah. and um but, but I mean, stories and a- analysis of this that I read was just like Fox says, uh, you know what? It's just too hard to make movies now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it's just too expensive. And, uh, you know, a story that, that then, you know, Universal had been trying to launch their dark universe, which was going to take all their horror characters and make a shared universe out of them in the style of Kevin Feige. Yes, you yeah, know, it's like the karaoke yeah. <laughs> when you sing the song and it says in the style of Tina Turner. <laughs> well, you know, there's only one Tina Turner. There's only one Kevin Feige. So. So anyway, that all fell apart this week as well. Yeah. And then um, the Universal song, didn't say they won't make monster movies. They just said they won't all be one universe, at least for a while. Well, it just that that plan crumbled, you know, I yep. mean, of course, they're going to keep doing something. But that particular plan kind of just crumbled. Um, and then uh, I, there's the whole, uh, you know, Time Warner AT&T thing. Calvin, do you want to? Uh, I mean, I, I, I really don't have anything more to add about it other than the fact that. Uh, um, you know, Time Warner, what owns you know Disney, but it, I mean, excuse me, uh, DC. But uh, to me, it's you know, there, it's that's so many worlds away from. Well, but I mean, basically, Time Warner has been in uh, a little bit of flux because they were announced last year that AT and T was going to acquire them, which would be the ultimate giant of distribution and content. Uh, but then on the campaign trail, Donald Trump said, "Oh, I'm going to look into this." And, oh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. and then since then, it's guess who? Who? What is a component of Time Warner? CNN. So this week, it emerged that the Department of Justice had gone and said, "You know what, AT and T, that's a nice deal you got there, but 
you're going to have to let go of CNN. Uh, so, I mean, this obviously... Well, this is where it gets up, becomes absurd. When uh, <laughs> President Dumbass, um, <laughs> you know, has injected himself into, you know, corporate mergers and ac- acquisitions in a way that... I mean, how do you even explain this? I mean, it's just, it's it's completely bizarre. Well, um, I mean, I think it's it's that... I mean, he taints everything he talks about. He, I mean, he does. If we're going to talk about how this administration is is actually shoots itself in the foot about about supposedly the stuff it wants to accomplish. I mean, it, I mean, it, wasn't he claimed to have uh, tainted the sentencing of Bergdahl by 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 coming out with like absurd statements that per you know that 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 um uh that prejudice uh, the the uh, the decision so. This mm-hmm. seems to be yeah. falling right into the same category of okay. say something stupid as often as you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I personally am no fan of our president. Um, but if we take him out of the equation and just look at, like, hey, should these two companies merge or not? Would that make it, like, vaguely monopolistic? I well, can I- see how there might be some concern if you left, like, multiple news channels in the mix well you know what well no i i mean because because that's that's you know i mean they're actually according to one thing i read it was also turner which includes a lot of other holdings that aren't just cnn you know cnn is part of turner so um and i mean it's kind of plain that the reason why cnn is being looked at askance is because donald trump hates cnn so uh you know there's no (laughs) legal reason whatsoever that cnn couldn't be a part of this deal um but you know now i I mean this is completely mega as calvin says above the level of you know publishing some flimsy little comics (laughs) floppies but but uh, you know at the same time for time warner uh they they have Justice League coming out next week, and their own shared universe is, um, they you have know, to get off the ground now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, that'll so, be interesting. Well, I'm actually going to see uh, <laughs> Thor uh, tomorrow, so um, and um, so we'll have a lot of movies to talk about in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so. I, I will be seeing Justice League, but it is more than my life is worth to see uh, Thor three because I have. The world's biggest Thor anti-fan used to be the world's biggest Thor fan. Uh, she hated that second movie as my roommate. So uh, I, I can't see Thor 3 because what if I liked it? That would be bad. Well, this is what it's like to be a fan, people. This is right. what the internal lives of fans are like. Um, but I'll make up for it by seeing Justice League. I'm, I'm worried about yeah. Justice League. I'm going to be honest right now. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, it could we'll be see good. what it could happens. Be bad. Well, the uh, but, uh, embargo on social media mentions is lifting tomorrow morning, so we'll have our first clue no. as oh, to whether or not this is bearable. So yeah, so, we'll see. Um, so I had I, I actually caught myself saying, "Well, Justice League might be good. I mean, I know it has Superman and Batman, but it does have Wonder Woman and Aquaman." I was like, <laughs> "How is that a sentence?" <laughs> Have you noticed how every time you, 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 you you're right. Every time you see the trailer, I'm like, you know, Ben Affleck is frowning and looking, you know, like sad Affleck. And then, um, <laughs> you know, Ezra Miller, uh, you know, no offense. They're kind of just shoving Ezra Miller at us like, oh, he's so funny and adorbs. And then it's like, oh, please yeah. give us Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa. Please let this. <laughs> so Affleck um, and Cavill are good actors, but um, 
Yeah. Now, yeah. the jury's out on Henry Cavill, but he sure looks good, so. Well, no, I've um, seen him in a number of movies where I quite enjoyed his acting. Uh, they, they did not include the word Superman in them. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> well, okay. um, you, know, well, you know what, guys? I'm going to have to bow out here, but but anyway, uh, in the next couple of minutes, but just, you know, to put my little bow on all this, it's like, you know, this is a game of 52 pickup right now. I mean, Hollywood, I, you know, the, I, I feel like part of this is the Harvey Weinstein thing that's just rocking everyone. Mm. Uh, people are coming and going so fast. You know, abusers are being outed. And, yes. I mean, all this consolidation, merger, and everything. Um, yeah, there's a lot Exposés. more. Exposés, yes. <laughs> consolidation, you know, merger, expose. I mean, it's it's really one thing after another. But so. uh, And on a comics-related note, I do wonder what will happen if uh, Disney buys Fox. If Disney buys Fox, does this mean that finally Perlmutter will let us, like, have decent... X-Men comics again? Please? Please? Only time will tell. So, yeah. Anyway, why don't we let Heidi run off yes, to her play? Indeed. All right. Uh, well, guys, thank you. I will be here and, uh, back again in two weeks. So uh, uh, maybe I'll talk about the play if I can remember what happened. So, okay, all right. right. Take, Take care, notes. you guys. All right. And now, the brief. So, uh, in the wake of what some people call Hydra Cap Gate. <laughs> okay. Marvel has brought on two new creators to see if Cap's reputation, I mean sales numbers, I mean reputation, <laughs> can be saved. Yeah. Mark Wade and Chris Samney, uh, both really beloved creators who are about as warm, fuzzy, and non-controversial as you get as far as their comics go. Yep. Good way to describe the comic, too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, Calvin, you read it. Can you tell yes. our listeners a little bit about your thoughts on the matter? Well, it's very interesting that, that this is kind of the post-Nazi cap. So, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's an, I mean, it's, it's really, in some way, they have swum the, the pendulum so far back uh as if to you know make amends so at a certain level it gets a little bit uh sugary sweet um it's captain america um r- r- uh with with saving kids uh and and fighting some nazi like uh uh villains uh, in a midwestern town uh in fact it kind of, without giving too many spoilers, it kind of bases itself on an incident in a, in a little town, and as he's uh, that happened ten years before, and then it turns out they've kind of uh, once a year they renamed the town after Captain America because he he sort of saved someone there, so it's it becomes very sort of um, uh, it becomes a it seems to me almost an antidote. Okay, you, you 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 were worried about what we did. Well, we're bringing back your the, the democracy's hero, uh, even in even even in even more sugary form. Uh, but the art is very good. Um, uh, there's a a nice sort of self conscious look where Steve Rogers is walking through a festival devoted to Captain America, which is sort of kind of kind of clever and fun and then um all hell breaks loose because this is a comic book it's a superhero comic book so 
I would give it a C as a grade um, because, it, you know, it's well done. But it's really such an aggressive attempt, I think, to, uh, to clear out any bad smells or bad tastes and just, like, start over again. How's that? Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, like, my feelings are very conflicted. Like, on one hand, like, I'm like, yes, this is, like, obviously we want to encourage Marvel to go in, like, a non-evil direction for Cap. Yes. Uh, but another part of me is like, uh, but I'm just still not feeling it because I've got a Hydra Cap hangover. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is really meant to. Well, you know, this to is help wash that out of people's mouths. Well, mouth. this is sort of meant to be a hair of the dog in some ways, so to try to get you back. But I mean, like I said, I think they've swung it a little bit too far back. So I'm hoping that actually this it's, it evolves a little bit. For, uh, into something a little darker than this, but yeah, this is well, Cap this... fighting evil guys and knocking them out. Yeah, I think this is like a, a <laughs> love letter to a fans yeah. and sort of a subtextual yes. we we're sorry. Up. We screwed up. We're giving you Please Captain America that you want and then some. You know, a sugary sweet with, you know, a cherry on top. Yeah. Okay. So, um, also in line with things that bothered us and are fixed now, sort of. We at PW Comics World More to Come have not been a fan of the idea of an American whitewashed version of Akira. It just it just doesn't sound like a good idea to us. Yeah. But it has now, um, the story has broke that uh, Taika Waititi um, the director of What We Do in the Shadows and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, and oh yes, also Thor Ragnarok, yes, uh, is in talks to direct the American Akira adaptation. And he says that the way he would like to go with this movie, if he indeed ends up directing it, is that he's obviously going to cast Asian teenagers, because why would he not? Good for you, Taika uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, our pleas have been answered. Our, our prayers have been answered. I mean, he, see, uh, he he's saying a lot of positive things that are, you know, to most people would be perfectly common sense. Uh, yes. Except in Hollywood, this this is a revolutionary stance to take. That You, would, you mean you, yeah. we're going to read the manga before we make the movie? Yeah. And then actually cast uh, Asian people in an Asian classic? Uh, imagine. Yeah. So, and I mean, frankly, you could even even if you were so set on setting in America, although I don't know why you would do that, but I guess you could. <laughs> there's still nothing stopping you from casting Asian people yeah. because, hello, America, we have no shortage of Asian it's, people. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's just it's just a bizarre, it's just bizarre that this is this ongoing and strange thing here where. These properties that we're talking about are global bestsellers, um, and they all are based in Japan. They all have – I mean, almost everyone sees these characters as Asian, except yeah. for the people who sign the checks in Hollywood. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that often it's cited as a business reason, but if you look at every single one of these major whitewash properties, obviously we can't look at uh, Death Note because Netflix doesn't release its numbers. 
but um, the the movies, at least, they all tank. Yeah. Like there has yet to be one that's a huge success, yeah. which makes you go, "Why do you keep doing that?" Yeah. Though um, sometimes and, they do better overseas. Um, but yeah, but they still Red don't. Did. They still don't do very well. Yeah, no, they don't. And and certainly the last one didn't do very well. Um, Ghost in the Shell. So yeah. hopefully the message is maybe starting to get across to people that you know yeah. you can do this in the right way and make money. Yeah, how about that? And doing it the wrong way is not making money. Yeah. So maybe stop making the same mistake. Yeah. Okay. Um so points to him. Yeah. For I mean what when you look at it you're like that is really the bare bones of what you could ask of any director of this. But you yeah. know what? I'll take it. Yes, I will. Um and speaking of Japanese culture, anime and manga, um, a recent poll has been done. And you might say, like, why? Why would you think it is news that Japanese people <laughs> actually feel proud of anime and manga? But historically, there has been a certain amount of nerd ghetto going on. Mm. Um, but... In a story brought out in the United States by Crunchyroll, uh, Menichi Shinbun, um, one of Japan's major newspapers, did a poll. They do one every year. Their 71st, this is their 71st, their reader survey. And among other things that they asked their readers was, do you feel pride in anime and manga as a unique product of Japanese culture? Um, 65% said that they did feel proud. Only 5% disagreed. The rest said they didn't care. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it, so, it, it, yeah, go on. Sorry. So, you know, I mean, given, given that, uh, the stereotype, and I think a certain amount of truth, at least previously in earlier generations of, of like, Japanese people feeling vaguely embarrassed by otaku and anime yeah. and manga if they weren't into it. It seems like people are starting to warm to it, or at least if they haven't warmed to it, to just not care and accept it as part of life. Yeah. yeah so, so, um, I mean, it's, it seems to me it's sort of like asking Americans if they like cars, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's not a good comparison. No, I mean, I think it would be more <laughs> accurate to like, be like, so, Americans, do you feel proud of football? Oh, well, that's a good point there, yeah. Because like, you know what? You might get similar numbers. You might get right. about 60 people liked it and 30 people like, no. And, you know, uh, you know, another 5% are just confused, like, what the question's about at all. No, no, actually it would be 30% would not know what the question's about at all. And 5% yeah. would be like, no! no. <laughs> uh, and 65% would be like, right. proud. Yes, yeah. yeah, I'm sure you're right. So, anyway, so, well, but there you go. Um, there you go. Yeah, we, we, at least now we know exactly how many Japanese are, par, are proud of anime and manga. Well, I mean, it's more than one would would expect, given its yeah, previous a, lack of cultural cachet. Let's yeah, I know put it the that response. Way. I mean, the notion of the otaku uh, is very different in Japan, or had been in the past, than uh, than how we see them. Uh, it's a little more of an extreme reaction than than to the American, I guess, geek or nerd. Well, um, I, I think I think it's more. It's more extreme than the modern American reaction to geek and nerd. It mm -hmm. more sounds like what I hear from bitter 40-somethings about, like, 
what it was like when they were growing up. And I got bullied for daring to mention the word Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of more like that. I see. All right. Um, but hey, you know, maybe things are lightening up over there. Points <laughs> to you, Otaku. Good luck. There you go. And on that note, there will be more to come. We're, we're, see you we're next short. Week. Yeah, we're short one voice there. <laughs> but we'll see you next week.